Amen. If you would grab your Bibles and turn over to the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we'll start, we aren't going to be there long, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 now. I'm going to try to cover quite a bit of information and not belabor all the information, all right? Uh, so, uh, once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I thought I would take tonight to kind of do a, a lesson about the Passover, but also make sure we understand this passage right here. And he says in verse number 6, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the part about the problem in the church, all right? Uh, let's skip that part. Let's go down to verse number 6, all right? Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, now, here Paul is making a reference back, and he's talking about leaven now uh, and purging out leaven. Obvious picture here. We'll talk a little bit more about it here uh, in a little bit. But uh, number one, he's talking about the days of unleavened bread in the Old Testament. Uh, there's a week of no leaven, and it's not allowed in your house. It's a week sacrifice that you make, and uh, you purge out leaven, and you make sure that it's no longer there, and it's not in the house. And uh, in, in this instance, the statement about it is that we are supposed to purge out the old leaven. As a Christian, we're supposed to eliminate uh, the sin. That's the malice and the things that we used to have and all the things that we used to do, because Christ is our Passover, uh, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The Old Testament, you had the sacrifice of the Passover. Uh, the Passover is instituted in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord lays it all out. Now, turn back to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to take a look at a few verses there. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, if you would. I'm going to lay a little bit of foundation, and then we'll talk about ultimately the ceremony that is done as far as the Passover goes. I'm going to grab my water over here. I apologize. Um, Exodus chapter 12. Now, I'm hoping that you're familiar with, of course, the Exodus. Uh, the children of Israel are in bondage. They're in captivity in the land of Egypt. Uh, they have a new Pharaoh that does not know Joseph. He knew not Joseph, and so they've been put into bondage. They still live in the land of Goshen. Uh, and as they live in the land of Goshen, uh, the children of Israel are put into captivity and bondage. They become slave labor for the nation of Egypt. Egypt puts them in bondage and the Lord sends a deliverer by the name of Moses, right? And he shows up on the scene, Moses with his brother Aaron, and Aaron is his priest ultimately. And the two of them show up and Moses stands before Pharaoh and proclaims ultimately, let my people go on behalf of God. And of course, Pharaoh hardens his heart and decides he doesn't want to do that. 
And so you get the ten plagues that befall the nation of Egypt. Now, overall, those first nine plagues don't affect the nation of Israel in the land of Goshen. Uh, Goshen is exempted from all of those plagues. Uh, the plague of the water to the blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the cattle being uh, diseased, uh, the boils that go, hail that falls upon them, locusts that show up, and then darkness uh, is the ninth of those plagues. None of those take place to the children of Israel. Israel is exempt. Uh, you go back, you read the last few chapters before this, and you find that darkness is not there and all these other things. The Lord is purposely protecting the nation of Israel and his people, and he's going ahead and putting a hedge about them that is particular so that Egypt recognizes this is about you letting my people go. Uh, it is the difference between the world and the children of Israel at this particular moment. And you get to Exodus chapter 12, and now the proclamation has come uh, in the previous chapter. The proclamation comes that now it's going to be the death of the firstborn son. And the firstborn son of everything, cattle and all. Uh, but the firstborn son in particular of everyone from Pharaoh's house throughout the nation of Egypt. But also it goes to the children of Israel now. Now it's the question to the nation of Israel, are you going to do what you were told? Are you going to obey this command that I have given? And the command that is given is that they are supposed to take a lamb, of course, and they are going to make sure that it's without spot and all the things, and they're supposed to take every man his lamb for his house and so on, and if they're allowed to do for several houses if they can, and all those kind of things, and all the rules start coming out. And he's going to lay all this out in verse number five. I'm going to just kind of jump into the middle of some of these things. But he says in verse number five, Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper, post, uh, upper door post of the houses wherein ye shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Uh, and, of course, they're not supposed to eat it raw or sodden and all the things. And he says in verse number, uh, of course, verse number 11, And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, and uh, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. How about that? I'm going to get to that here shortly. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance. Oh, how about that? Uh, forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day on until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Notice he's now set it up, and it is a, it is a day to be remembered, and it's not just going to be a day that they do it uh, right here at the nation of Is in the in the nation of Egypt, and they're in bondage and they're suffering. It's the day ultimately commemorating the day that they are removed from that bondage and set free and set at liberty and redeemed out of that place. 
It is the day when they get to look back and they are supposed to remember the day they were brought out of the house of bondage from a great deliverer who was the God that they were supposed to continuously worship. It's a day to be celebrated, remembered, memorialized, and ordinance was put in place so that it would not be forgotten. Does that sound familiar yet? And it was the day of the Passover. And so tonight I want to just talk a little bit about our Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do that in light of some things that uh, if you were to study some things on the Passover and how they do things. And uh, I, will, I will throw a shout out and... Brother Joe doesn't want me to, but I will throw a shout out to Brother Joe Shelton. Great help to me for this. And uh, he, he puts on a great Passover. Anyways, um, but uh, great. And anytime you get to see something like that is, uh, is a wonderful thing as you see it throughout the scriptures and how the Lord uses those things in the end to be the picture of exactly what he's going to have it be at the end. This Passover right here and the first Passover that's instituted that day in the land of Egypt and the day that the Lord purposely did that he, does, he knows and nobody else knows he is going to show that as the truth, as an eternal truth. The spiritual truth of being released from the bondage and the rudiments of this world and you and I being set free and set at liberty because of a lamb that was slain and became an eternal Passover lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. He'd already had it set up and you and I just get to take a part of it. And he set it up as a picture all the way back in Exodus chapter 12 and you and I still understand that today Jesus Christ is now our Passover. And so we're going to look at some of those things tonight. I'm pretty excited about it, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to stay focused. All right, let's have a word of prayer. I need some help tonight. Lord, I do pray that you would bless what is said tonight. I pray it would be a great encouragement and a great reminder of the wonder and the, and the amazement that we have that a lamb came into the world, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so, Father, I do pray you'd help me to say things the right way. I pray I wouldn't confuse some of this stuff in my own mind and say things in the wrong order or father do something I shouldn't do or say something I shouldn't say I pray it would be a great blessing and a help tonight and Lord once again I do pray father I don't know maybe somebody here is lost tonight I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone to save them father he is he is the Passover lamb and he is the one who can save to the uttermost and I do pray that you would uh, just be honored and glorified this night we pray you would bless our time together in Jesus name amen And we're looking at uh, this. Now, uh, first of all, we recognize uh, that uh, it's supposed to be a day when we have no leaven. Leaven gets removed from the house. Uh, in Jewish history and Jewish, the way they do their... Uh, all the things. There's great ceremony through some of the things that they do, all right? Uh, it's very ritualistic. It's very religious, right? And so you understand that. And so some of the things that they do are very religious, and some of it they have no clue why they do it, but they do it. And uh, the first thing is that their job is to make sure that their house is cleaned of all leaven. Uh, we already looked at it. Leaven is a picture of sin throughout the scriptures. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little bit of sin makes everything tainted. Uh, that's how it always works. Uh, just a little bit, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little of this, just a little of that. Well, it doesn't matter. As soon as you get any of that in, it's all corrupt. It corrupts quickly and it overtakes. And so the job was to go through and uh, usually it was the wife, it was the lady of the house who took care of and she swept through the house and made sure all the leaven was gone and she would leave a token. 
a token of leaven, uh, so that her husband could certify that the house was good to go, uh, that it was all cleaned out. And so she would leave something for him to find on purpose so that he could sweep that away and take it and uh, go and take it down to where it needed to be burned, and they would burn it, and ceremoniously, my house is free of all leaven. Uh, Amazingly enough, when you and I come to the Lord's Supper, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for us to be free of all leaven. Uh, He is looking for us to make sure that we've swept our house and gone through and made sure that we've purged our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He wants us to make sure that we're clean and that the leaven's all taken care of and he wants it to be good and he wants it to be pure. And he understands that he can forgive and he can take care of all of those things because he is our Passover lamb and he has paid the debt of all of our sins. It's amazing that you and I can be sure that all of our sins are forgiven and we are clean. Uh, We've been given the righteousness of God in him and our leaven has been taken care of for all of eternity, but our day-to-day righteousness is what comes into question. It's not our eternal righteousness. God gave that to us for free when he decided, when we decided to trust him as our savior, we were given the righteousness of God in him. But you and I, day to day, we make our mistakes and we need to get back in fellowship with the Lord. And he says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And we get back in and we understand before we can really partake of the Passover, before we can really partake of the idea tonight of remembering what great things Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary, we ought to take some time to purge out the leaven, make sure that we're clean, make sure that that's all taken care of. Then the second thing that they do is they, uh, the, the lady of the house, this is pretty cool, the lady of the house is supposed to light the candles to start the ceremony. She says a prayer and she does, she does certain things with it, uh, but she's the one who lightens, brings the light to the table. That's kind of interesting. Uh, why would she do that part? Uh, well, because there was a woman. And light has come into the world. And it wasn't through the tainted seed of man. It was through the woman who didn't have a seed, but she brought forth one. To bring you some pure light, the Lord Jesus Christ. A light to lighten the Gentiles, even. And so she lights these candles to start the ceremony up and away it goes. And now first there's this cup that sits there and it's, it's the wine glass, of course. It's the grape juice that they have. And uh, it's, it's utilized four times throughout the ceremony. And uh, obviously you have more to drink than that. But uh, this, particular, this particular beverage is used for these purposes. And uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping I'm not messing anything up tonight. So just so you know, I already know every Shelton in this room is critiquing everything I say, all right? I'm on dangerous ground. Um, and I'm not, I'm not covering every little piece of this, okay? I promise. Um, but I, I'm covering some highlights of what they do. Uh, and it's called the cup of, it starts off as the cup of sanctification. It's prayed over. And it is done and it is taken and we take a sip And they do that as the cup of sanctification. Look back at Luke chapter 22. I'm going to try and stay in Luke 22 so you don't have to turn to all the parallels. Um, I think Luke 22 may cover everything uh, for us as the final Passover that the Lord takes part in. And uh, you know he is in the upper room there. He's with the disciples and they're... They're made ready, the Passover. 
And in verse 15, the Lord is looking over that cup and, it's, and, uh, and he says this, in verse 15, and he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take eat, uh, and take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He's praying. Ultimately, he's, he's given that blessing to them and saying, hey, we're going to start, but you guys are going to start. And it's, it's all about what's about to happen. It's all about what I'm about to do. It's all about what's, a, what's about to befall me here in just a moment. And he's going to kind of lay some things out here, and I'm not going to be able to get every intricacy of what they do. Uh, but it amazes me. Uh, they do that, and they start off, because without Jesus Christ, you can't be sanctified. And it's without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And that picture starts to show immediately as you start what, we are about, what they are about to partake of. And so there's this plate that they have. It's the Seder plate. And there's six things that go on the plate. And it's all gross. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm sorry. The, the hagiga's fine. That, that tastes fine. The rest of it's gross. Okay. Um, but ultimately, that's what they're about to do. They're going to do this little ceremony. And those six pieces are part of that, and they all indicate some things. And they all indicate what was happening under the bondage of Egypt and the future. And so as they're looking at those things, the first thing, they have these little six pieces that are there, and it gets shared around the table over and over again, each piece. And so uh, the first is uh, ultimately the, uh, the green it's basically parsley, uh, you know, it's just kind of the herb that is there. And you dip it in salt water, and then you, then you take a wonderful bite, right? And that tastes great, all right? Now, the salt water ultimately is, is tears. It's the tears of life. Uh, it's, the, it's the tears under their bondage. How's that for happiness, right? So the tears of bondage, and they're taking uh, ultimately the greenness of life, and they're taking part of that and they understand that life can be bitter. It can be sorrowful. And in a moment, the next thing that they're going to take is the horseradish, the bitter herb that they're going to take. I'm not going to throw out all the Hebrew names for all of these things, all right? I cannot do it, all right? I took a year of Hebrew in school. I still can't do it. Uh, and so if you want the proper pronunciation, find a Shelton. They'll probably get it right. And uh, what you do with that is it's, it's horseradish, ground horseradish. The good stuff, all right? The good stuff, okay? Nothing, nothing, you know, watered down and garbagey stuff, all right? This is the real deal. And then you take a, a chunk of that, that matzah, that unleavened bread, and you get a good scoop in there. And then you just take a big bite. Now you say, what is that? That's the bitterness. And what happens when you eat a good scoop of horseradish? Now you get tears. It's not the salt water you're eating. Now it's you have tears. Uh, you say, why? Because it reminds them of the bondage and the sufferings that life brings. The bitter toil that they had to deal with under a taskmaster that was not supposed to be there. But then you have the, uh, 
Say that again, Shannon. It's not the Hagiga. I want the, I want the apple mix. Give me the Haraset. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is, it's apples and nuts and cinnamon and honey and I'm trying to remember what all's in it. Uh, but it's nice and sweet. It's actually rather tasty. I like that one. Uh, and you get a little, get a little of the matzah and you take, you take probably two or three times as much as you took of the horseradish because you got to get that thing out of your mouth now. Now you got to try something better, right? And it's sweet. And you go, why would they do that? Because it reminds them that bitterness comes to an end when redemption shows up. It's the sweetness that you're going to get. It's the hope of a future that nobody else had. And Israel had a hope in a Messiah. And they still have a hope in a Messiah. They just don't recognize that he showed up already. And I'll get to that here in a little while too. But then you have this big hunk of the rest of that horseradish. And that's sitting right there. And nobody has to bite that. Don't worry, you're going to just take it. But it reminds them that the root of life is better. Isn't this a sad ceremony? But bitterness gets put away here in just a little bit. We'll get there. Uh, then you have the boiled egg, the hagiga. There it is. And uh, did I say that right? Okay, all right. Uh, and what that is, that's a hard-boiled egg. And uh, it represents, ultimately, egg represents life. All right. We understand that here at Easter, right? Uh, and you get that. And uh, ultimately, it's strange because uh, you get slices of that and you dip it in the salt water. And part of its life is bitter, has tears. Life is full of tears. But it's amazing because the Hagiga is the same name that they give to the lamb that was supposed to be slain, the sacrifice that they were supposed to give. They give it the same name. You say, why do they do that? Because they can't sacrifice anymore. And so they don't put a lamb piece on there anymore. They put a shank bone from the lamb because they lost the place of their sacrifice. This is one of the saddest looks at this thing. And you're looking at this ceremony, and you know what it is? It's supposed to be a ceremony of hope and deliverance. But as you look over that plate, you know what I see? For them, I see sorrow. And it's all about looking back at Egypt. Wasn't that their problem? Their problem was always looking back at it was better in Egypt with the leeks and the garlics, and we had it so great, and can't we go back to Egypt? And Moses, why did you bring us out in the wilderness to die in the wilderness when we could have been sitting at home making bricks and mortar and building for somebody else? They remember it as bondage, and they remember it as the toil, and they remember all that, but they only have one of the sweet things on the day that they should be remembering how great how great the Lord was to deliver them from bondage. It's a whole lot of rough bitterness on there. Christian, just going to let you know, quit looking at all the bitterness. So what does that do to you? It becomes a very sad thing. I'm going to talk to you a little bit 
later about something that I find is probably makes this one of the saddest moments in my mind. I'll give you a little allusion to it. There's an empty chair at the table. And the empty chair, they purposely put an empty chair, full place setting, and they want Elijah to come. Now, we get back to uh, what's happening here. So they finish. They all take their part in that thing. And uh, it's wonderful and tasty, all right? And uh, they do all those pieces. Now, that's not the actual feast part, all right? That's the ceremony part. Uh, they do actually eat real food at the, you know, wonderful, okay? All right, don't let that fool you. We'll get to that soon. Uh, but then they take the cup. They bring it back over. That one that was the cup of sanctification now becomes the cup of plagues. And they remember the ten plagues that were brought upon the land of Egypt. And so they take, they take their finger and they dip it in the, in the grape juice and the wine and they go around their plate and they name off all the ten plagues and they go around their plate and they mark it all out all the way around and you got your little dots around your plate to remind you of the plagues that befell the nation of Egypt that you shouldn't have to take a part of. That's a pretty good deal. And you may mourn for your enemies, but that's about it. And then out comes this wonderful thing, and it is called the matzatash. I love, this is my favorite part of the whole thing, so I'm going to have some fun. All right. Now, uh, the matzatash is a bag for matzah. All right. Say, well, what's matzah? It's this guy. Right. Now, most of you are used to seeing this crumbled up on a plate for you, and we take up the Lord's table and that's what's on there in fact it's it's ones of these and uh here they are and uh it's a bag it's got three compartments in it so there's three compartments with three pieces of matzah in there now what's strange about it is the rabbis have no idea why there's three Because they only use one. So you got your three matzahs, right? I'm going to set them right here. Now, the three matzahs, if you were to ask, they say that uh, the reason we do that is you put all three of them in there and it's all about unity. It's all about unity, okay? And so you got unity. And so you ask the rabbi and the rabbi, and I've heard a couple of things. I've, I, I left off a few that I've, I found later, but two of the good ones are uh, the unity of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why you got three of them. And then the second one, you come to him and he says, well, no, it's the unity of worship. It's the priests, the Levites, and the people. That sounds good, right? I mean, makes sense to... Except, when you find out that matzah is representative of bread of affliction, that's what they call it. It's the bread of affliction. Because it's bread you make when you don't have anything to make bread, right? It's flour and water and that's it, right? Bread is better with leaven. I'm just saying, right? It tastes better. We like Wonder Bar better than you like these. Okay, or Wonder Bar. Wonder Bread, better than you like, with Wonder Bar on it, uh, bologna. Um, but uh, 
you like Wonder Bread better than you like these. You'd rather have a hostess than you would this. I mean, let's face it, nobody, everybody wants a zebra cake. I mean, um, but this, I was, I was, this is funny, so I'm going to slide this in here. Uh, I, Walmart in Fulton does not carry matzah anymore. In case you're looking for it, they don't carry it anymore. And so when you're in the store and you're like, I know they always put matzah in a weird place, which I know none of you buy matzah, but I do, all right, because i got to buy it for the church, right? So you go, uh, where, are they, uh, where do they put it? Okay, I think I remember. And you go over there, and you're like, "Why? where is this? So you pull up your app really quick, and you type in matzah crackers, and it gives you first option in-store is goldfish. <laughs> and I said, my church people would love me. <laughs> And I have those in the nursery. I don't even have to buy them today. And then I went to Price Chopper and bought matzah. Um, we would rather have. Matzah is not, it's not something that you desire. It's not something where you're like, oh, yes, please, let me have this. It's bread of affliction. And it is amazing that they choose not the first one, and not the third one, they choose to use the second one. Now, they use the second one, and they don't know why. Now, to prove that it's without leaven, you'll notice if you've never looked at one of these, I don't know if you can see it from there, but there's a whole lot of holes in it. They pierce it to prove there's no leaven. They bake it on a rack, so it's usually striped. Oh, and by the way, the first thing they do to the second one is they break it. Oh, you mean pierced, striped, and broken. Then they take this guy take this half here and they wrap him in linen and then they hide him for a little while and go back to their festivities now you know why I really like this part and the priest goes Oh, yeah, it's about the patriarchs. And you go, well, then why is Isaac broken, hidden, after he's wrapped in linen, only to be brought back so the ceremony can be completed because it cannot be completed without him? How am I doing, Joe? All right. Whew. Now, the kids are going to be the ones that find that later on. That's their part. Their part is to search the house. They have no idea where it was put. It's hidden for a while. They're supposed to go and find it and bring it back at the right time. The festivities continue. You get to eat and do all the things. But truly, it is amazing because when all of that portion is ready, notice what he says here. Luke chapter 22 and verse number 19 In comes this peace. 
They find it. They bring it back. And the Lord says, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Or which is given for you, I'm sorry, in this spot. This do in remembrance of me. You know what they do with it? The father is the one running the ceremony. That's his, he's the priest of his home. He's the king of his home. He's the one who's supposed to be ruling. And you know what he does? He's the one who purposely breaks a piece and gives it to every person off of this piece. Everybody gets a piece of this. The one that was broken. You ask the rabbi, why do they do that? No idea. You ask me, it's the Godhead broken. The one piece. The other two are unfazed and untouched. They are both unleavened. They have the same characteristics. But they aren't the one that was broken for my sin. It was the one in the middle. It was the Son of God. It was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then they picked the cup back up. And this portion is called the cup of blessing and redemption. The Lord takes this moment immediately. Verse number 20. Likewise also the cup after supper. They've eaten. Coming down to the end now. It wasn't one of the early cups. It was this one. Right after they eat, he says this. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. He's about to institute the New Testament in his blood. Blessing and redemption. Look back at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That sound like what you got? It's not about ceremony. It's about knowing me. It's not about all these other. It's about knowing him. 
and we know him and our sins and our iniquities are forgiven forever and taken care of. A New Testament. And it was done because he became our Passover. Now they do Psalm, I'm not going to do all of them, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, and they do all these Psalms of praise. They sing the Psalms of praise. And they praise God for how great he is. And they drink the cup of praise. They drink that last one, number four, is the cup of praise. They drink that and they're, they're praising the Lord and they're thanking him and they're praising him for how good he is and his redemption and all the things and bringing them up out of Egypt and out of bondage. And they say, the last thing that they say is next year in Jerusalem. It's the promise of a future Passover they're going to have with their Messiah in Jerusalem. I mentioned this being the saddest part, is they have that chair sitting there, and it's there for Elijah. Because Elijah is the forerunner for the Messiah. And they plead for Messiah, they plead for Elijah to come. They sing a special song, Elijah the Tishbite, tell him to come. They plead for him to come. They open the front door, and one of the kids cries out for Elijah to come. And they close the door, and he doesn't show up. Because they can't recognize that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. They can't recognize, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. They can't recognize that the Messiah showed up and gave his life and became the Passover to eliminate the Passover that they've done in ceremony for so long and in picture for so long to remove the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and instead becomes our Passover lamb and takes over all of those things and makes a sacrifice once forever. It is one of the most amazing setups, and God had it all the way planned out. And they don't understand it. And you and I look at it, and we go, how do you not see it? If you've been saved for 10 minutes, I'm pretty sure you're like, how do you not see that? And they miss it. They miss it over and over and over and over again. And blindness and part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And the sad truth is that they continue to miss it, not knowing that their Messiah came to go ahead and remove that Passover and institute a better one. The, the lamb that would be slain to make it so that they would have it forever. And you and I got it. You and I got it. We've got the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. You and I got the lamb that was our Passover. And when you trusted him as your savior, it eliminated the idea of that Passover. But that thing is such an amazing picture to what Jesus Christ has done and is doing. And that future hope of one day in the new Jerusalem for us, we'll go ahead and sit with him. We'll go ahead and see him. And you say, why do, what are we doing? You get to this moment right here, and we're about to take the Lord's Supper, and I'm almost done, and we're going to do that. What did, he, what did he tell us to do? 
He said to do this until he comes. Until we go ahead and meet him. Until we're there in the kingdom of God with him. Until you and I have got everything settled up. You say, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to remember. And it's not the same as their Passover. It's not all the, you know, all the pieces and all the things. But there was a day, if you're saved in here, there's a day that God took you out of bondage of Egypt. Out of the bondage of the world. He redeemed you by the blood of a lamb, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he brought you out of bondage into a house where you had freedom and liberty to be able to serve him. Just like the nation of Israel did. They now had liberty to serve him. They may have squandered it at times. They may have failed at times. They may have let leaven in. But now's the time to make sure we don't have any leaven in. That our house is clean. That we're purged from the old leaven. That all those things are taken care of. So that we can come before him and remember the sacrifice that was made as our Passover. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. My body, which is broken for you. Pierced, striped, and broken to pay your debt of sin. And remember him. And tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember him. We are going to have an invitation. I'm going to give you a second. And I want to do that because of this. I'm not going to take long. I'm not going to preach another message down here about the communion table. Oftentimes we do that. We turn over to Corinthians and we read and we do, we do the whole thing. And I'm not going to do that tonight. I want to do this a little different tonight. I want us to be able to come and maybe you've got some things and you say, I've got some leaven I didn't take care of before tonight. I hope you don't, but maybe you do. I would be ashamed to not give you an opportunity to get it fixed. And it's fixed instantaneously because God is an amazing God. And so I want to, I want to turn things over to Brother Andrew. I'll let him come and if you need to take a moment with the Lord, or maybe you're in here tonight and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, He is the Passover lamb for you if you want Him. You've got to apply the blood. The children of Israel applied it to the doorpost and the lintel going across the top. Well, you've got to apply it to you. That blood can save me. It can wash me. I'll trust Him. And you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and be saved. So let's take a few minutes and maybe just search our hearts and take a moment and remember how great he's been, how wonderful it is to have a Savior. And if you need a Savior, come. Come and we'll take a moment, we'll open a Bible and show you that your sins are forgiven and he can be your Passover lamb. And you can trust him tonight. Brother Andrew, what are we singing?